Hey, good morning. Welcome to Mountain View Chapel live uh, on Sunday morning, Facebook Live. Um, some of you have just signed on. Glad that you're with us. Uh, Josh Young, I think Evan and Karen are watching. Um, Tiffany, you got the Woodwards watching. Uh, so glad to, to have you hang out with Bobby and Kim Berry. Um, just a whole list. I think, I think the Licklighters are watching. And even Kevin Haynes. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? How's it going? <laughs> anyway, hey, we're glad that you are uh, um, uh, able to study with us this morning. And I just want to say again, thank you. Uh, we're trying to make lemonade out of lemons. And uh, what I mean by that is the challenges that we've been facing together, um, we are not going to let that keep us from proclaiming, from uh, reaching out, from being together, encouraging one another, and trying to figure out how to be connected. So uh, we get a lot of amazing response from Wednesday night. Uh, we launched out and did a little something different on our Wednesday night uh, live um, a time together. And so just the, the photos that were sent in and the videos, and we had some others uh, that were sent in later. Uh, tried to get a couple of those. I've got some choice pictures of Charles Wyant. Um, Maggie sent some pictures in that were amazing. Uh, wasn't able to get those up this morning. Also just wanted to use that as an opportunity uh, to promote that we're, promote we're going to have another children's lesson uh, this week that we're going to be sending out. And uh, Maggie Wyant is going to be teaching a children's lesson. Super excited to see that and appreciate her stepping up. Uh, she said, like many of you have said, she's like, that's not my comfort zone, uh, but I want to be a part of stepping up and uh, helping the church family and, and encouraging the children and family. So uh, super thankful for that. Uh, let's dive into the Word this morning. Let's, let's uh, open up the Scriptures. And I just want to encourage this morning, I want you to think about something as we begin our study, that last week, we're going to go back to where we were last week. Last week, we used this as an illustration that we were talking about with Mary Magdalene. Um, but we're going to be going to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So if you have your Bible, if you have a device, something that you can follow along with, Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin reading in verse 36. And what I want you to remember, who we want to remember this morning, is we're going to be remembering an unnamed sinner. This morning, I want us to focus on somebody whose name is not recorded in Scripture, who we don't know who this person was. And um, just uh, the, the consideration as we look today, and, and I just want to, we'll, I'll mention this a little bit more in just a few minutes, but so many times we get preoccupied with things that are not revealed in Scripture. Maybe like this woman, she's, she's unnamed. Uh, there's details about the story that we don't have. And sometimes we get preoccupied with the things that we don't know instead of focusing on what God reveals to us and what we do know. And sometimes distractions come in many different ways. I can just say that during this, during this situation, regardless of what your perspective is on uh, social distancing and all the things that we've been asked to participate in within our nation, regardless of where you stand on that, one of the positive things that's come out of this is that a lot of distractions have been taken away. And I think that with those distractions being taken, taken away, it's, it's allowed some of us to refocus and see the beauty of the simplicity of things that sometimes we get so distracted we don't make time for. Your relationship with God. Some of you are reading the scriptures more. Some of you are carving out time to pray more. 
Let me encourage you. Allow those things to be a part of your life till your dying breath. Don't allow anything to come in because you're experiencing a vitality and a newness. Some of you, the, the simplicity and the beauty of rich relationship with your family, your spouse, your children, your grandparents, your, just your grandchildren, whatever that is, simple, beautiful things. So let's focus on what we do know as we read Luke chapter 7 to, together. I'm reading in the New King James, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now, I'm going to just mention this to you. Um, and you, Tyler, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Just keep rolling. Um, I wanted to mention this to you that in the book of Luke especially, if you notice all the different times, if you ever did a study to look at how many times Jesus used food and meals and hospitality being a part of somebody's meal process in their home as a way to minister and reach out in multiple situations. I'm just going to throw that out. I know that things are a little bit different right now, but some of it, it's time for us to just stop with the excuse-making. We need to be more intentional about carving out time to break bread together, to eat together. There's so many beautiful things that happen when we carve out time to just have long, beautiful conversations over food. So look at this. Ask him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, what city? Don't have a clue. What's the name of the woman? Don't have a clue. Who was a sinner? When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself saying, now this is, you know, you have those internal thoughts. You're thinking to yourself, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is. And he would know who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when he had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. When they didn't have any way to repay him, he forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love you more, will love him more? Someone answered and said, well, I suppose the one who um, he forgave more. And he said to him, You've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon. So he's looking at the woman and he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Do you not? You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. 
Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there's a thought that I want to I give to you this morning, a thought for consideration today, and honestly, for the rest of our lives. I want, you to, I want you to just think about this. And I want you to, just these two words to challenge us and encourage us with what we're talking about this morning. Uncomfortable faith. I want you to consider uncomfortable faith. I want you to think about that. That, And we'll, we'll break this down a little bit more, but a genuine faith response to Jesus as Savior and Lord will often create discomfort. Now think about this. And some of you are just like me. You need to ponder this thought. You need to consider this. I'm talking about uncomfortable faith. When you follow your heart toward our Lord, it is usually outside of your comfort zone. Often, our steps of faith not only make ourselves uncomfortable, but so often our steps of faith make other people very, very uncomfortable as well. Now, on a personal note, I did not understand this principle when I was young in the faith. Many times I would stop myself from following my heart of faith for fear of what other people might think. They might think that I was weird. It's so sad, but that's the reality of my struggle, is that when I came to faith and my heart was palpating, then I had this sense of genuine connectedness in my growing faith. I remember so many times in my life that I wanted or I had this compulsion that I wanted to follow my heart and I wanted to take, like sometimes it seemed like crazy steps, but then I would question myself and then I would wonder about how the other person was going to feel. And so literally before I would step out in obedience and see what God's response was going to be, to see what took place or see how he blessed I'd shut myself down. And here's the reality I want to share with you as we look at the story. I want to give you an underlying thought, uncomfortable faith. Because when I read this story, at the top of my Bible, I have uncomfortable faith for this whole section. Because what this woman was doing was not normal. It was not typical. It was not average. It was strange. It was uncomfortable to a certain degree for her, and yet it was actually beautiful for her. And she gave us, even for today, this incredible picture of worship. Now, I want to tell you that I feel like that even though she was uncomfortable, when I read this story, I get the impression that any uncomfort she had was nothing compared to how uncomfortable she made the people around her feel. And some of you, you're like me. When I was younger, I was way too concerned about what other people thought, what other people felt. Well, you know what? There comes a point in your life where you are so focused on Jesus and your relationship with him and your love for him and your appreciation for him that you are going to begin to lay aside and say, I don't care anymore. 
You think what you want to think, and if I make you feel weird, if I make you feel uncomfortable, how many times when somebody stands up to proclaim that they are going to live a different way, you get preoccupied because you're making the people around you super uncomfortable. Well, I'm here to say that a lost, unsaved, unbelieving world needs to be uncomfortable with the presence of righteous faith pursuing a righteous God. Okay, before I get too fired up, let's move on. You get what I'm saying? Uncomfortable faith. So let's not get sidetracked by what is not revealed in the story. I already mentioned that. We've got an unnamed city, an unnamed woman, um, or any specific details that you're curious about. Uh, Some of you have read people where um, there's nothing in the scripture to support a lot of names that have been put on this woman or any kind of connection. If you just compare and look at the scripture, she's an unnamed woman. Now, I think that that's beautiful. The more that I study this, the more I think it's beautiful. So let's evaluate some details that are given to us. Verse 37 says that she was a sinner. Jesus says in verse 47 that she had committed many sins. This woman and her lifestyle were very known to the city that she lived in. They were, her sins were very public. Common knowledge to the people of the town. Now, there's some of the, some of the wording in the Greek. People believe that it's, it's, it's fairly certain that part of her sin was prostitution, but you don't know whether she was involved in illegal things. We don't know. But we can just qualify this that she'd committed many sins and people were aware that there were a lot of people. It was very public knowledge that she had done a lot of things. Let's just leave it at that. And I want to give you a reality reminder here. People usually know what is going on in our lives, whether it's good or bad, whether we try to cover it up or not. What you do still matters. And even though we live in a society that's open and everybody's taking pride in whatever their situation is and everybody's open and they're saying all these different things, let me, let me just remind you that it really does matter what you do. This woman was probably, because of what she had done and the things that she had participated in and the things that had gone on, um, she had a reputation. She definitely had a reputation. It's obvious by reading the text and looking at what's going on. So I I just, in the context of that, I want to just say to you that this woman was probably an unexpected guest and more than likely an unwelcome guest. I don't think she got an open invitation. And if you look at the way, um, you know, you can ask Tom about courtyards and dining rooms and different things like that. He's more experienced on that. But when you when you look at old architecture and Bible times, especially with wealthy people, a man like this, like Simon, um, he was obviously had a little bit more uh, money and he was set. So the way that things happened, that things were usually open so people would able, were able to see. And especially um, there was a level of if it was a dignitary, people could peek in, they could listen, they could be a part of things. Their culture was a little bit different than ours. Um, today, we have dining rooms that are behind closed doors that are set off the street, uh, sometimes behind stockade fences, uh, behind gates. And so it's, it's a little bit different cultural setting here for us to get our hands around. 
But just a quick reminder, I want us to think about this for just a minute as we're looking at the story. Just a quick reminder of the damaging consequences of sin. Now, we live in a culture right now. We live in a society where um, it's like, what is sin? There's no sin anymore. I mean, people are doing that which is right in their own eyes. And if it feels good to me and I want to do it and I classify that as part of who I am, uh, who, the, who are you to tell me it's wrong? But yet I go to the scripture and the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever because it reflects God. It is like God. So some people say this book is outdated. No, this book is more relevant and, and uh, applicable today than it's ever been. And I just want to say that sin is damaging. Some of you that may be listening, if you're making excuses and you're rationalizing and you're justifying and you've tried to relabel what you're doing, let me just tell you, you can try to relabel and reclassify whatever you want in any way you want, but the Bible teaches God is trying to help us understand his plan. Sin is still damaging. James tells us in chapter 1 and verse 15, the sinful choices, they have a progression. Lust, which is desire, then sin and then death. And I just want to tell you this morning from my own personal experience, I've seen so much death in my life, and most of the death that I've seen is not physical. I've done a number of funerals, and I've been at a number of gravesides. But let me just tell you from my own experience, and please hear my heart when I tell you this, a heart that's being honest and open with you, I see so much death all the time because this principle of lust and desire, sin and death is so lived out right in front of my wife and I and our family on a regular basis. I see people experience emotional death, mental death, all kinds of death, death in their spirit, the death of hope. I I, I just see people that their sinful choices have debilitated them to the point where they are having an alive death experience. So many different things. In the passages discussing Moses' life and his faith, Hebrews 11, 25, and 26 uh, states a powerful reality of life. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I just want to mention, you can write this down, Numbers 32 and 23, reminds us that sin will be revealed. Sin will not stay hidden. God sees all. I mean, we we have some amazing technology and we have amazing intel capabilities. A lot of governments have incredible intel capabilities across the world. Let me just tell you, there is not one nation on the planet that has greater intel capability than God the Father the Holy One of Israel, Creator God, Jehovah Yahweh. There is nothing that is hidden from His sight. Whether it's in dark, whether it's in a cave, nothing is hidden from His sight. So even in this example, Moses is being used and he's saying, and the point that I want to make is part of what we forget about the damaging consequences of of sin is There may be this reason, there may be this rationale, this logic for why we do certain things. And to be honest, what we see in America is it's just pleasurable. It's entertaining. It's beautiful. It's fun. It's 
you know, oh my goodness, that, that was a bl-. But it's only for a moment. It's fleeting. Sin affects us. So what I want to talk about is sin can give pleasure, but this is what I want you to see from the scripture that we're reading. But rarely, rarely does sin ever give us peace. You know what I'm saying? Sin may give you a certain sense of satisfaction. You may get a high or you may get euphoric or there may be that, that, that sense of just ecstasy and pleasure, but it's only momentary. It's only short-lived. But what I rarely see sin do for people is give them peace and tranquility in their souls. Now, we don't know where when and where, but it seems that this woman had heard the teachings of Jesus and that her heart was impacted by what she had heard. I believe that this woman came to Jesus because she believed in him and she came to honor him, and this woman came to worship Jesus. So I just want us to evaluate the uncomfortable reality of this woman's brokenness. If you look at this situation and if you look at the details of the story, I want to give you some points I think we've got about seven of them that I wanted to highlight about this unnamed sinner. So let's evaluate the uncomfortable reality of this woman's brokenness. She made her way into a room where it does not appear that she was a guest. She made her way into the room. She came to this, and the Bible teaches that the way that they ate, which is kind of weird because I'm used to eating, sitting up, not kind of lounging or lying down, but... Uh, She came in behind him, came at his feet, and she made her way into the room. The next thing is she probably came, if you think about this, the comparison that Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee is that this unnamed woman, she probably came to anoint his head, but noticed that his feet had not been cleaned. Now, from a potential professional standpoint this woman was very aware of details but when she came in i believe that it's possible that she switched gears in her mind because i i believe that she came to anoint his head jesus even mentioned this the next thing she was a broken-hearted sinner she'd experienced some of the damaging consequences of her lifestyle and her choices. But I want, this is what I want you to notice about her brokenheartedness. She was profusely crying to the point of creating enough tears to literally wash Jesus' feet. Just, just allow that to sink in for a minute. I don't mean she was crying like, oh, it's, it's a rough day. No, this woman, when she came into the presence of Jesus, her soul and her heart and her mind began to pour out and match her physical body connected with her tear ducts. And think about this. They wore sandals. That's what they wore. Dusty, dirty, walking around. Think about a day when you've gone somewhere and and you've been all day out in sandals and what your feet look like. This woman literally shed enough tears 
And this is a point I want you to see. I believe that her weeping and her crying and the level of tears that were being expressed, I believe that this naturally made a lot of people in the room uncomfortable. Because I watch people all the time. What's the natural thing? What, what do we try to do, especially in American culture, what do we try to do when somebody's crying? We try to console them to get them to stop. Some of you as parents, I'm just going to give you some grandparent advice. Let your children cry. It's healthy. If you spend your life trying to get them to stop crying, you're both going to be miserable. Sometimes you just need to cry. You need to express yourself. You need to get it off your chest. You, sometimes it's just a reality. I need, you need a good cry. But what do we naturally do? Crying makes so many of us uncomfortable because we're not sure what to do. So it really becomes more about like the crying is making us uncomfortable. So what do we try to do? We try to pacify. We try to console. But because of this situation, nobody's going to step in because this is something that's happening between this woman and Jesus. So the awkwardness is just in the room. I can imagine somebody at the other end of the table saying, is somebody going to shut her up and get her out of here? Thank God nobody did. You get what I'm saying? You can't tell me that this wasn't an awkward, uncomfortable situation. Simply by the level of weeping and crying, she created enough water out of her body to literally wash the feet, the dirty feet of Jesus of Nazareth. Wow. Next thing. She was not given a towel for drying the feet as was the custom. See, typically his feet would have already been washed, some type of a basin, and there would have been a towel available to wipe the feet. But because there was no towel available, she used her own hair as a towel. A woman's hair. Bible makes it plain. A woman's hair is her adorning and a beautiful expression of femininity. She wiped the dirt away with her hair and dried our Lord's feet with her own hair. This act of worship is counter, counterintuitive to good hygiene, good presentation. Not only is a woman crying so much that she creates enough moisture to literally remove the dirt from Jesus' feet, now she takes her very head. I'm a terrible example. If I had my wig, that would be different. But she literally took her hair, and she was down in a humble position, and she began to take the, her hair and dry his feet from the moisture and the dirt. So her hair was grabbing some of the dirt from his feet, and she was honoring him and cleaning his feet. The next thing I want to point out is that she continually kissed his feet. This reverential, adorning expression of adoration and compassion. She just continually kissed his feet. She obviously knew him, her past. I think there's so much depth of meaning as you evaluate and you just meditate on the reality that this woman 
was humbly kissing the feet of Jesus. I also want to mention that she worshipped in silence. If you notice this whole passage, there weren't a lot of words exchanged. She didn't say a whole lot. Some of you that are quiet, your personality is not outgoing. I just want to encourage you. There's powerful worship that can take place with the things that you do and the homage and the love and the obedience that you proclaim by that your actions and lifestyle. Last thing is she seemed to create a very uncomfortable dinner encounter for the Pharisee Simon and his guests. Now, I've already mentioned that, but I just want to point that out, that as we look at these things, I believe that this made the environment very, very uncomfortable. I want you to just focus on this woman's belief, repentance, and love were fully embraced by our Lord God as he proclaimed that her sins, which were many, had been forgiven. Now, I just want to make note of something real quick. And I hope you understand what, that, what I mean by this, because some of you need to hear this. The, te- the details of her sins were already known. And if you notice, they did not need to be listed or magnified or glorified. Some of you, please hear my heart when I say this. A step to freedom for you, it's one thing to comfort other people privately with the comfort that you've received from the Holy Spirit, like Second, Second Corinthians chapter 1 talks about. But some of you need to be careful not to glorify or magnify your past sin. You don't need to be proclaiming a list of all the dirty things you've done. I remember evangelists coming into our little um, independent Baptist church when I was a kid. And I used to, man, it was almost like they were bragging on the things that they had done. And I, I used to question myself like, man, do I need to go do those things to be truly forgiven and follow Jesus? No. Some of those men should have never said what they said publicly in my, in my opinion. Because they spent a couple minutes talking about Jesus, but they spent 25 minutes talking about all the sin that they'd committed. So what I walked away with was more the glorification of their past sin than the freedom that they had in Christ and them trying to draw me closer to him. You get what I'm saying? There's, there's a line here. But her past was already her past. And there wasn't a list presented. Three things. I want to give you three things real quick like last week. And all I'm trying to do is dig into some things and give you some study points. And I hope that you'll allow the Spirit of God to really, even past today, to just burrow deep in your soul with some lessons here. Last week when we were talking about Mary Magdalene, I gave you three words from Mary Magdalene. She was an incredible example to us, to the, the, the male apostles, the females that she led. Love, labor, and loyalty. Love, labor, and loyalty. The unnamed sinful woman shows us the impact when a person receives the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When someone genuinely accepts and experiences forgiveness, there's a one word here that H-O-P-E, hope. Forgiveness creates hope that creates change. The three words I want to give you this morning, change of attitude, change of actions, change of alliances. 
I believe that this woman, and it's a proclamation to all of us, that when we receive forgiveness and when we receive hope, not hope that we've created within ourselves like, oh, I'm good, I can do this like the, like the choo-choo train. I can do it, I can do it. No, the hope that we receive from the presence of God through his Son and the work of the Spirit. This forgiveness creates a genuine eternal hope that it changes our attitude, our actions, and our alliances. Some of you, attitudes and actions and alliances, I'm going to let you meditate on those three words and think about the implications in your life. But I can see in my own life, my attitude, because it's inside out, my attitude begins to change. I was working on my attitude yesterday while I was working on some things. Things weren't going as I expected, and I got down on myself and frustrated, and I just laughed, and I began to pray out loud and ask God for help because my attitude was terrible. My poor wife had to be around me. So I went to her. I said, hey, babe, I'm sorry. It's no big deal. I'm, and so I changed my attitude because I focused on Jesus, and I asked for his help. And then my, my actions were different from that point on. But also, I just want you to see that some of you, when are you going to change your alliances? You spend time with people that pull you down. And some of you say, oh, it's for ministry's sake? No. It's not, it's not usually for ministry's sake. Because you haven't grown to the point where you can say No. That relationship doesn't help me. That relationship doesn't help me draw close to God. Get what I'm saying? Your faith in Jesus saves you. That Jesus is still saving. Jesus is working in your life. But you have to understand, you ask his forgiveness, you receive it, and then you have to learn to walk in it. Receive Christ's forgiveness, truly believe it, and then you must learn to live as a forgiven person. Now, there's a huge difference between being forgiven and accepting his forgiveness and then learning to walk as a forgiven person. Some of you, this has been the battle lines for, and it's my battle line, for multiple years that, yes, we experience God's forgiveness, but then we have to learn how to work that out and live as a forgiven person. Now, this is what I want to note. We have this in, in our church family. This is just humanity. Sadly, others do not forgive and see a life and future of hope as our Lord does. You will still have to deal with the struggling humanity of others. Don't be mad at them or scared of them because they are not the ones who hold your eternity in their hands. And this is, a painful, this is a painful part because, especially in a smaller county, a smaller community, I just see a lot of people that want to hold somebody down, that they've made those mistakes. And, and I'm not talking about a repeat offender that they talk a big game and they keep going back. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when somebody has experienced their forgiveness, that their eyes are open and they're genuinely trying to learn how to walk in that forgiveness. We should not be the church that's continually putting people, let, let me put you back down into your position where you came from as a sinner because we need to acknowledge that we're all in need of Jesus. 
That's why we need to be helping and encouraging. And you know what? As you walk alongside somebody, as you encourage somebody and you help them learn how to walk in their forgiveness, you're going to find out whether they're for real or not. I was talking with somebody this week, and we were having a beautiful conversation, and it was, it was a challenging situation. And I, I said to them, I'm so super excited that you'd be willing to do that because you are placing yourself in the uncomfortable, dirty trenches of helping other people, and you're going to find out what that person's really like, but I'm so willing that you're willing to step out and be uncomfortable and place yourself in that situation. That's what it's like to try to help people learn to walk in forgiveness. Remember that Christ is the one that forgives and changes. So let's keep our hearts and our minds focused on him. Here's a challenge for you. Learning how to walk in forgiveness, this is a challenge. Be like your Lord God. Be a reflection of Christ in a sinful world. Offer hope by reflecting the depth of your forgiveness. If you've been forgiven, reflect the depth of your forgiveness. This is a hard thing I'm going to challenge you to do. With those people that won't let you up, with those people that are judging you, with those people that are trying to keep you in your past, that won't let you move forward, that they want to remind you, what, 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 was it, what does the devil do? God is trying to give us a future, and what is the evil one do. He reminds us of our past. Oh, you can't go there. Yes, the blood of Jesus will transport us there as we learn to live in that forgiveness. I'm going to ask you to do a very hard thing. Extend grace to the very person or the people who are not willing to see the forgiveness or extend grace to you. You know, the only way that Tim Duggins can extend grace to somebody who hasn't deserved it, who doesn't function with a level of embracing love or forgiveness to me, how am I able to extend grace to other people, the power and the presence of the forgiveness of the Jesus of Nazareth that I believe in? And then you will begin to understand your Lord Jesus on a deeper level when you begin to walk as he walked because Jesus' entire earthly ministry he extended grace to people that did not earn it, nor did they deserve it from a human level. We have to learn to walk in forgiveness. I hope that we can learn this morning. Let's have faith like this unnamed sinner who proclaimed an uncomfortable faith. There's so much that could be said this morning. I love this story. It's rich. If you see my Bible, I've got notes everywhere. I've got things all over because this story has been real and relevant to me, and it's been an example. This woman, this sinful woman, is a great example to me of faith and worship. I've got a whole list of things I may share with you at another time of examples I read one writer, and he did a great job of breaking down like nine or ten different things about this woman's worship. This woman is an incredible example of learning to worship free in spirit and in truth to honor and glorify our God. So may we walk away today, and let's have faith like this unnamed sinner who proclaimed an uncomfortable faith. That's what our world is looking for. None of us are perfect. But what we are, if we have asked and we are seeking, we are forgiven. So let's learn to live in that forgiveness and pass it on.
Have a great day. We'll talk to you later.